Well, let's pray, and we'll open up God's Word. I pray that your Word would be like, like a searchlight all of a sudden turning on and illumining our hearts, and that we would see what is going on inside of us and see what you are saying about us, and that darkness would be changed and that the light would come clearly through your word. That's what I pray. I need your help, Lord. I need your wisdom and your heart and give us all attentiveness. We know war breaks out in new dimensions when we open up your word and Satan wants to pluck the word out of our hearts before it has a chance to settle. Don't let that happen today, Father. Bring your power. Help us to hear earnestly, to listen energetically to battle, to get what you're saying today in your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 9. If you need a Bible, as we always like to say, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. We want you all to have a Bible that you can look on with this morning. Hebrews 9 is on page 1005 in the Bibles that we're passing out. And to set the stage for what the author of Hebrews is going to tell us in this passage... I want you to think about the fact that you have a conscience. You have a conscience. And what your conscience is, is it's something inside of you that reminds you that you have sinned against God. That's really what your conscience does. It reminds you that you've sinned against God, and it reminds you that you are guilty before God. God's glorious, he's loving, he's kind, he's powerful, he's there, he's faithful, he's our treasure. We've all turned our backs on him. We've all sinned against him even this week. And so your conscience is this thing inside of you that reminds you you've sinned against a glorious, beautiful, majestic God, and you you are guilty before him. And we don't like how that feels, that guilt, right? The weight of guilt, knowing we're guilty before God, we don't like that. And so we take various steps to stifle our guilt, Right? So we turn up the music, or we drink too much, or we, you know, watch, you know, soaps or whatever. You know, we, we do things to try to stifle that conscience. But it doesn't work, because as soon as the TV's off, when it's late at night, and you're just there trying to go to sleep, your conscience is back again. And you're feeling the weight of your guilt before God. We want to get rid of that, and so maybe we try more sophisticated means. We might try some counseling or some therapy, and there's Christian counselors who will give you very, very good news about this, but there's non-Christian therapists or counselors, and what they will say much of the time is, you know, guilt is, a, is a, an emotion that's destructive. It's a destructive emotion, and here's some ways that you can get, get rid of that. Well, the problem with that is that those steps don't, don't help because see your guilt isn't just an an emotion that you can like change guilt is the reality of your situation before god me you we have all sinned against god we are guilty before the creator of the universe and so it's not just an emotion you're dealing with this is the reality of the universe as far as you're concerned so guilt isn't just kind of a, well, it's destructive, I've got to kind of get rid of it. No, that's, that's the reality of your state before a holy and a righteous God. 
So then we try spiritual ways to get rid of it. Okay, it's about God. Okay, so I'll start going to church. And maybe I'll, like, I'll give money to the church. That'll help, right? Or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, feed the hungry on Thanksgiving. Or maybe I'll do random acts of kindness. And we try to do spiritual things to try to get rid of that guilt. But none of those help either. Because the sins we've committed can't be paid for by anything we do. So there we are. We have a conscience. Conscience reminds us that we've sinned against God. Conscience reminds us that we are guilty before God. But here's the good news. God himself, (laughs) this is amazing. God himself has made a way for that guilt that you feel to be completely lifted off of you. And for his pardoning love to be poured upon you. He has made a way for you to be completely free from guilt. He has made a way for your conscience to be cleared, for your conscience to be free, so that you feel no guilt before him and the pardoning, forgiving love of God from him. Let me give you an illustration from George Whitfield, one of my heroes. He was a pastor in England in the 1700s. And here's what he experienced. He'd sinned against God like all of us. He'd been very burdened by the weight of his guilt. And here's what happened to him one day. He wrote this in his journals. He said, but oh, with what joy, joy unspeakable, even joy that was full of and big with glory was my soul filled when the weight of sin went off and an abiding sense of the pardoning love of God and a full assurance of faith broke in upon my disconsolate soul. So imagine having lived all your life with this weight of guilt. I'm guilty before God. I've sinned against God. My status is guilty. I'm facing his punishment. And all of a sudden one day God does something and the weight of that guilt comes off and his pardoning, forgiving love comes down. That's what George Whitfield experienced. That's what many of you have experienced. That's what I want all of you to experience frequently in our lives. And so how can that happen? Glad you asked. Hebrews tells us, the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews tells us in chapter 9, it can happen because of what Jesus Christ has done in dying on the cross and paying for our sins. And to help us see the wonder of that, what the author of Hebrews does in chapter 9 is he contrasts what Jesus has done on the cross with what the Old Testament, Old Covenant priests and sacrifices were doing. So there's a contrast here to show us what Jesus did. Okay, so let's start with this first question. How did the sacrificial system work in the Old Covenant? That's where he starts. That's his topic in verses 1 through 7. So how did the sacrificial system work in the Old Covenant? And look at what he says, verse 1. Now even the first covenant, that's the Old Covenant during the Old Testament, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared. The first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. And we've got a picture up here, okay? So to the right, that's what he's just been talking about there. There's the lamp, there's the table of the presence, and that's the the, outer, the first section, the outer section, which, which all the priests could go into. Keep reading, verse 3. 
behind the second curtain, okay, that's the part to then to the left, behind the second curtain to the left, was a second section called the most holy place, having a golden altar of incense. Now that's in front of the curtain right there, but it wafted incense into the Holy of Holies, which is why he includes it as part of the most holy place. So there's this golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenants. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Okay, so here's the tent of meeting. This is what the Israelites used during their wilderness wanderings. Okay, the tent of meeting, there's the holy place and there's the most holy place. And the most holy place was the place where God came with his glorious presence. Right now, six and seven. So what happened? What did the priests do? Verse six. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second section, that's the the left-hand part, the most holy place, into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Okay, I got to mention, what are these unintentional sins? Let me just throw out, there's two basic views. Some scholars think that those are sins which were committed by mistake. It's possible. I tend to side with the other people who say that what is meant by unintentional sins is sins that were intentionally committed, but then were confessed before the Lord. Anyway, it doesn't make a lot of difference for the passage. So here's what would happen. The priest would go regularly into the right-hand section. Okay, Every day they'd be in there doing their priestly ritual duties. But only one priest, the high priest, could go into the most holy place, and he would only do that once a year. So just think of that. Once a year, one person, the high priest out of all the Hundreds of thousands of people in the nation of Israel, only one person, the high priest, could go into the Holy of Holies one day a year. And he would enter with blood from the animal sacrifice and offer that sacrifice for his sins and for the sins of his people. Okay, so that's how it worked. All right, there's the tent of meeting. That's how it happened. Now, next question. The author helps, helps us think through what did the old covenant sacrifices accomplish what what did that accomplish start with verse 8 by this there's the whole tent of meeting he's just talked about it by this the holy spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing which is symbolic for the present age I wrestled with this verse for a long time. Here's my best shot, okay? Read a lot of commentators, and here's what's going on. The tent of meeting, this whole structure, oh, sorry, that structure you saw, that's fine. Keep, keep where you are. That whole structure of the tent of meeting kept everyone except the high priest from entering the most holy place. It was very clear. Only the high priest could go in and only once a year. So that tent of meeting kept people from going in. So it, it, it showed all of Israel and it shows all of us today. We've got a problem. 
We can't just, well, I'm going in to see God here, going through the temple. and we, that's, No, 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 you can't do that. You will die if you do that because of our sin. So that whole structure was a clear reminder that the way into the Holy of Holies has not yet been disclosed, has not yet been revealed. Okay? And then when the author says this is symbolic for the present age, I think what he means by that is he's talking about the time when he's writing this letter, about A.D. 65. And at that time, the temple was still standing and the uh, sacrifices were still being offered. Those didn't stop until A.D. 70 when Rome came in and just destroyed Jerusalem. And the temple hasn't stood since A.D. 70 and sacrifices haven't been offered since A.D. 70. But during A.D. 65, they were still being offered. And so the point the author wants to make is that the temple and its sacrifices do not give anyone access into God's presence still today. So this this problem of our sin, we can't come into God's presence, is still clear. It's still there. And so then keep reading in verse 9. So what do these sacrifices do? Keep reading in verse 9. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered. He's talking about the Old Testament temple and the tent of meeting. Gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Now, don't miss this. This is really important. The Old Testament sacrifices could not perfect anyone's conscience. They could not lift the guilt that you felt off of you. They could not bring the outpouring of God's pardoning, forgiving love upon you. They could not perfect anyone's conscience. So let's say that you're an Old Testament believer and you sinned against God. And you felt the guilt for your sin. And you went to the priest and the the sacrifice, and the priest offered that before God. You should do that. But that was not how you felt your guilt lift off as an Old Testament believer. Going through that did not perfect anyone's conscience. The animal sacrifice would not lift the guilt off of you. The animal sacrifice is not all shows that we need a way. But it wasn't the way. It pointed to the way, how we'd be forgiven, pointing to Jesus. But it was not the way. It shows that we need a way. It pointed to the way, but it was not the way. So what are these? Now you're wondering, but didn't Old Testament believers feel forgiveness? Totally. Okay, just hold that question for one more verse, and then I'll explain to you how it all worked. Verse 10, what did these sacrifices do then if they did not perfect anyone's conscience. He says, verse 10, but these sacrifices deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation, reformation being the time of Christ's coming. So these sacrifices and gifts and washings were only going to last until Christ came, until the time of reformation. And they were only regulations for the body. They were physical things that you would do. Washings, sacrifices. They only did something outward. They did not do something spiritual. They did something physical. They did not purify your conscience, as we read at the end of verse 9. They could not remove, in other words, the weight of guilt, and they could not bring God's pardoning love. And this might be a little bit of a tilt for some of you, so I kind of want to dig a little deeper, because again, you're probably wondering, didn't Old Testament saints feel the guilt of sin lift off of them and the pardoning love of God come upon them? And they did. Let me show you how that happened, though. Turn to Psalm 32. I want to show you how it happens. So don't get the impression from this that no one in the Old Testament ever felt forgiveness. Oh, they did. You'll read about it here. 
but it was not through the act of offering the animal sacrifices. See, I think God wanted to be very careful that no one thought that, okay, this lamb is somehow paying for my sins. The lamb, that physical lamb, the lamb of God paid for your sins, but that physical lamb didn't pay for anybody's sins. It was a picture of what would pay for your sins. It did not pay for anyone's sins. God wanted to make very clear that we didn't make that mistake. But look at how people were forgiven. Psalm 32. This is a beautiful psalm. Blessed, which is the Hebrew word happy. Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven. You know that, right? Oh, yes. Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed, happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. No deceit because of what he does in the next verse when he confesses his sins. He's not hiding his sins from God. He's confessing his sins. But you see, that's a description of having the weight of sin lifted off of you and the pardoning love of God pouring upon you right there in verses 1 and 2. How did that happen? What did he do to have that happen? Verse 3. For when I kept silence, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. There's conscience, there's guilt, there's God's convicting work. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer, Selah, which means think about it. Okay, so it's Selah, I think it's Selah means. So this is guilt, right? You have felt this, haven't you? You have felt what it means to have God's hand of conviction upon you. It's part of God's love, but he wants you to understand there's a problem. There's a problem. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised that some of you this morning, this is what you're feeling right now. You know, it's unconfessed sin. Maybe you've never come and been forgiven through trusting Jesus Christ and you're feeling that the hand of God heavy upon you and your strength is dried up as the heat of summer. So that's where the author of the psalm was at, verses 3 and 4. That's guilt. So what happened to move him from that to how blessed it is, how happy is the man whose sins are forgiven? How did that happen? Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Think about it. Okay, so when did he feel the weight of his sin lift off and the pardoning love of God come? It was when he confessed his sins to the Lord. If you read Psalm 51, remember Psalm 51 is a crucial picture of how Old Testament forgiveness worked. This is after David had committed adultery and murder. Okay, this is big, very big. And if you read through Psalm 51, he says, God restored to me the joy of my salvation. Cleanse me of sin. You know, uh, bring me your presence. Don't, don't, don't lift your presence off of me. And then he says, when you do that, then I'm going to offer sacrifices. He confesses first, asks for God's forgiveness to come. And he says, then I'm going to offer sacrifices to you, Lord. That's how it worked, is that you knew that the animal sacrifices didn't perfect anyone's conscience. That slain lamb didn't pay for anybody's sin. It pointed to who would pay for your sin. It pointed to how it was going to happen. But you knew you just go to God and say, God, forgive me. And then how blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. So that's how it worked in the Old Testament. Old Testament saints 
Remember we talked last week, there's always a remnant of the Old Testament, those who God had written God's laws on their heart, who were really trusting God's mercy. They felt God's forgiveness frequently, beautifully, powerfully, guilt lifting off, forgiving love of God coming, but it was as they confessed their sins to the Lord, just like Psalm 32 says, and that is an expression of, thank you, Father, they would go and offer the sacrifices because God told them to. But still the question is, how could they be forgiven? They felt forgiveness, they felt the guilt lift and the love of God come, but how could they be forgiven? And how can we be forgiven? How? That's the next question the author tells us. How can people be forgiven for the guilt of sin? The answer is through Jesus Christ, verses 11 through 14. Look at what he says. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not the Old Testament tent, a more perfect tent, not made with hands, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. And remember, we talked a few weeks ago about how the Old Testament tent and the Old Testament priesthood was a picture of what Jesus would do in heaven. It, it, it didn't do what Jesus would do. It was just a picture of what Jesus would do. Okay, so after Christ died and rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven into the very presence of God the Father right there in heaven. And no Old Testament priest ever went before God the Father in heaven. Only Jesus did that. Okay, that's verse 11 and 12. Now keep reading in verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places. This is before God in heaven, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Remember, the blood of the animal sacrifices during the Old Testament was a picture of what Jesus would do. Those animal sacrifices didn't do it. They pictured the one who would do it. Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, and after he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he came before the Father there in heaven, with his own blood, Father, my blood, which has paid for sin completely. Priests pictured that. Jesus did that. He did it. Came before the Father. Father, my shed blood for all their sins. Paid for. And notice that phrase, once for all, in verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places. The Old Testament priests entered the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies once a year. But every year he would do that, which shows that the offerings he was bringing they didn't, didn't pay for sins because if you had to keep bringing it again and again, it's like, I thought, aren't they being paid for? No, they're not. They're not being paid for. This was important for them to do as a picture of what Jesus would do, but those sacrifices didn't pay for any sins. Jesus entered once for all with his own blood which paid for all sins once for all. This is glorious. This is the best news in the world. This will make you dance. This will make you jump. This will make you leap. He paid once for all your sins, all your past sins, all your present sins, 
all your future sins, if you are trusting Jesus Christ, then once, 2,000 years ago, in history, Jesus paid for all of your sins. You deserve to be punished for your sins. The Father poured the punishment you deserve upon his Son. Jesus willingly took the punishment you deserved upon himself. All your sins, past, present, future, once for all, paid for. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. And then get these next words, thus securing an eternal redemption. Those are sweet words. He secured it. It's like bank vault, concrete around, lead, soldiers. I mean, it is far more secure than that. It is absolutely rock solid secure. There is nothing No guilt crop up, no sin crop up, nothing that can unsecure your redemption. And that's why he says it's also eternal. No unpaid sin will ever crop up and unsave you because once for past, for future, for all time, Jesus Christ paid for your sins. Now keep keep reading in verses 13 and 14. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, this is all the Old Testament sacrifices, I get this next line. What do they do? They sanctify for the, pure, for the purification of the flesh. That's all they did. Some kind of a fleshly, body, external, ceremonial purification only. Verse 14. If that's what those sacrifices did, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. I just want to comment here. Notice the whole trinity is at work here. Okay? How much more the blood of Christ, here's Jesus, the Son of God, shedding his blood through the eternal spirit, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Son of God, offered himself without blemish to God the Father. So the whole trinity is at work here in this work of redemption and atonement for sin. So how much more will the blood of Christ... Jump to the, head, to the end of the verse. How much more will it purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Do you see that the Old Testament sacrifices didn't purify anyone's conscience? Now again, don't misunderstand. They did experience having their consciences purified in the Old Testament. Psalm 32, very clear, right? Psalm 51, very clear. But it wasn't through the sacrifices. It was through what God would do through Jesus, pouring it out upon them through the Old Testament, Okay. All that those animal sacrifices in themselves did was purify the flesh. Jesus' blood purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Okay, now what are dead works? So those, I think, are just sins. That's because Sins are dead works because sins kill you spiritually. Guilt kills you spiritually, separates you from God. Those are dead works. And Jesus' blood purifies our conscience from the guilt of those dead works so we can serve the living God. So what he does is he lifts all of our guilt off of us and he pours his redeeming love upon us. And with that burden of guilt gone, conscience is like, everything's fine. It's all good. God loves you. Your conscience is like happy. Your conscience is smiling, right? The burden's gone. God's love is here. And you with joy can serve the living God. Okay, now, one more question which is our original question. How can we experience this? 
you can be completely freed from your guilt. Some of you have, have never come to the place in your life where you have repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ, where you've confessed your sin and said, I want to turn from that. I want to trust you to forgive me, to change me, to satisfy me. I'm looking to you. Some of you have never done that. And so you are under the weight of your guilt. You may be trying to quiet, stifle it with turning up the music or drinking too much or, you know, watching soaps, or you may be trying to, to pursue it with non-biblical, non-Christian therapies, you know, it's a destructive emotion, we shouldn't feel guilty, everything's fine, it's not and it won't. Or you may be trying to do it by spiritual means, trying to, maybe, maybe you're here in church this morning thinking, if I go to church this Sunday, I won't feel so bad this next week. It won't help. In fact, if I can put it this way, God, out of love, wants you to understand to try to overcome your guilt by your own obedience is sin itself, and you will be guilty for that too. But God has made a way. The God of the universe, your your creator, the God who's ruling everything right now. Do you see how much he loves us? I mean, he's made a way. He has made a way for you to be completely free from all your guilt completely free from all your guilt. He's made a way. And so if you are weighed down by guilt this morning, this morning, if you will understand what Jesus did and trust him, you'll be forgiven. So maybe you're somebody who's never put your trust in Jesus Christ, and we are so glad you're here. And this is what we long will happen to you this morning. Now, others of you who do know Jesus Christ, let me ask this question. How long has it been since you have felt the pardoning, forgiving love of God poured out upon you, assuring you that you're forgiven? How long has it been? That's not our constant experience, okay? But it it can and should be our frequent experience. Romans 5, we all have God's, we experience God's love being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, so we're assured Maybe you're a believer, but it's been, maybe you have allowed some sin to make inroads into your life, which you have not confessed before the Lord. And right now today, God's hand is heavy upon you. You know why his hand is heavy upon you with guilt? Because he loves you. Because you're in a dangerous place. If there's unconfessed sin there, he loves you. His hand, he's on you saying, I love you. Feel this. You're in danger. You don't need to feel this anymore. And as you, in a fresh way, confess that sin and put your trust in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, he will lift that guilt completely off of you and he will pour his redeeming love upon you. So here's what I want us to do right now. Let's have the band come up. I want to just take some time and let's do this. Let's come right now, just quietly, individually. This is all individual, private, between you and the Lord. No one's going to have to stand up or do anything. But just between you and the Lord, let's come and let's confess our sins, whatever sins need confessing to the Lord. And let's put our trust in Jesus Christ, who's blood has paid once for all for all of our sins and let's ask him to come in a powerful way and save those here who aren't yet saved and refresh with 
beautiful new outpourings of his forgiving, pardoning love, those who have been saved. Let me pray for us first, then I'm just going to lead us through some steps. So, Father, we want to experience this right now. Thank you, Lord God, that you are gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Thank you, Father God, that because you love us, us who've rebelled against you, us who've been your enemies, you've loved us in spite of who we are so much that you would send your own son and you'd punish him in our place for our sins. Jesus Christ, we say thank you. You did what we could not do. We can't be good enough. We can't quiet the guilt. We can't do anything about it. But you can and did. And you came because you love us. And you suffered. Oh, you suffered on the cross, the wrath of God for our sin being poured out upon you. And you just endured it because you loved us and you were paying. And then you said, it is finished. Thank you that you can purify our conscience from the guilt of dead works. Thank you that you can do that. And we ask right now, would you come and do that now in a new, fresh way? I pray for those who've never put their trust in you that right now they would. Right now they would. And I pray, Lord, for those who have trusted you that if there's unconfessed sin that they know of, that they would bring that to you right now. And others, Lord, if there's not some unconfessed sin they're aware of, they would just have a beautiful time of coming and just in a fresh way, just confessing just who they are. We're all sinful people and receiving fresh outpourings from you. So come and work right now, I pray. So start here, just in the quietness of your heart. Humble yourself before God, seeing that you need undeserved mercy. So just humble yourself before God right now, just between you and him. And see, here's why this is so crucial. If you try to come to God now based on something you've done, some goodness that's in you, the door's closed. You cannot do that. It dishonors the cross. It dishonors his mercy, thinking that you can earn from God. You can't. We've got to come to him understanding, I bring nothing to the table but my sinfulness. That's who I am as I come before you. You are merciful. I need undeserved mercy. I humble myself before you as someone who deserves punishment. I need your mercy. Here I am. And so come in that way. Don't try to bring any righteousness of your own. There is none to bring. Just come as you are, humbly. So do that right now. Talk to God about that right now. Just take, take some time and do that. completely humbled, no righteousness of your own. There is none. Come to him as you are, a sinner needing mercy. Are you doing that? Ooh, that self-righteousness can be hard to lay aside. Lay it aside. It's a lie. It's deception. 
We bring nothing to the table that deserves anything good from God because there is nothing. So humble yourself in that way. Okay, then second, confess your sin to God as something that dishonors his infinite goodness and that deserves his punishment. Just confess it to God. Just in the quietness of your heart, name it. See that you've dishonored God, your creator. See that your sin deserves punishment. It's not just that you feel bad because you should be above that sort of thing or that you feel bad because somebody else found out. It's because you've dishonored the infinite beauty and majesty of the universe, God himself. So let that give you sorrow. It's right. It's right. It's appropriate. Talk to him about that right now. Confess it. Now ask God to forgive you through Jesus Christ. Ask him to forgive you. See that every sin will be punished either by you being punished in hell or by Jesus being punished on the cross. But every sin will be punished. And so see what Jesus has done and ask God, Father, forgive me. Through your Holy Son, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me. Ask him to forgive you. Thank him for what he did through Jesus. Thank Jesus Christ for what he's done. Do that right now. Ask the Father to forgive you. Ask him. Ask him. Now, a last step, and this can continue beyond this morning, but look to Jesus Christ by faith. Look to him. Look at the cross. Look at him saying, it is finished. Look at his blood being shed to pay for sin. Look at the Father's wrath, which you deserve, being poured out upon him. Look look to Jesus by faith. Don't look at you. Don't look at how weak your faith is. Don't look at... Just look at Jesus Christ by faith. Look to him by faith until you feel the guilt lift and God's forgiving, pardoning love come. Now listen very carefully to this. You can be forgiven by God without feeling this. Okay? You can be forgiven by by trusting Jesus Christ alone. If you've done that, you're forgiven. Okay? But God wants us to press in looking to him, asking him, pour your love afresh, pour out assurance, make your nearness more real, let your favor shine upon me, let your face shine upon me. He wants you to press in, and the way we do that is by hearing his word with faith, by looking to Jesus with faith. So do that right now. And I just want to read you some scriptures to, 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 because the Holy Spirit is provided as we hear with faith, Galatians 3, 5. So just pray over these, hear these right now. You're looking at Jesus by faith. Here's some scriptures. 
Matthew 26, 28. Jesus said this at the Last Supper. He said, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Hear that. See him. Trust him. Look to him now. Lord, just pour out your spirit now, I pray. Let guilt feel lifted off. And let your love in an experiential way come, I pray. Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's done that. 2,000 years ago, he gave his life as a ransom for you. See that. See him. Look to him. Trust him. Look at who Jesus Christ is. Look at his love. Look at his sacrifice. Look at his shed blood. Look at the forgiveness. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, Jesus, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See all your sin. See it? And the Lord laid all of that iniquity, all of your sin, on him. It was all laid on him. And he was punished for your sin. In your place, he was punished. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then one last verse. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins. Once. 2,000 years ago. For sins. All those sins. Christ also suffered once for sins. For that sin. That one. That one. The righteous, he's the righteous one, and he suffered for the unrighteous. That's us. And here's why he did that. That he might bring us to God. So we can be forgiven and come to God boldly to the throne of grace. To receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Father, I pray that you would strengthen everyone here with the wonder of your son's death on the cross once for all paying for sin. I pray, Lord God, that right now and that as we move into this afternoon and this week, Lord, that there would be times when, just like George Woodfield said, the weight of sin lifts off and the pardoning love of God comes. Thank you that you do that, Lord. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your amazing mercy for us. Thank you for Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. Let's stand together.
I just want to invite you to come forward this morning. Um, if you've never trusted Jesus, we want to pray for you. If you've trusted Jesus, but there's been guilt, God's hand's been heavy upon you, we want to pray for you. If you're just simply longing for a fresh outpouring of his assuring, forgiving, pardoning love, we want to pray for you. So come on forward. We're just family. We want to bless you by praying for you and asking God to do a powerful work. Come on up. Don't be bashful. I mean, God can meet you anywhere, but we want to pray for you in a, in a focused way. And sometimes a step of faith, I'm going to step out, Lord, and, and come and meet you now. That can be powerful. It's not for anybody else. This is just be, between you and God. Come on up. Who else? Let's have prayers here with those who've come. Just be able to gather around and pray for them. Who else wants prayer? I just need to wait a little bit longer here. I don't wanna don't wanna rush this, but uh, come on up. We need some more prayers. We got two over here who'd who'd like prayer for. Anybody else? This is good. Another prayer right here. Another prayer right here. Okay. Let's pray for we'll pray for that next. Anybody else? is good. So Lord, we pray for these who've come right now. As they look to you, Jesus Christ, not look to themselves, not look, not look to how strong or weak their faith is, just looking to you. Thank you that you will give them everything they need as they come humbly with nothing to recommend them to you, as they look to you alone. Thank you, Lord. You love them. You've demonstrated your love on the cross. You love them. You love them. You welcome them. You forgive them. Things are good between them and you as they're trusting Jesus. So, Lord, I pray. We pray together. We love these that have come forward. Lord, would you right now, whatever guilt has been there, lift it off right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Lift it off right now. Let there be that, just what George Woodfield experienced. Let the weight of sin lift off of them right now. We ask you, Lord. Just by your supernatural work, by the Holy Spirit. And let your love be poured out upon them, God, we pray. Assuring love, forgiving love, pardoning love. Come and do that, Lord, right now we pray upon each of these. We love them. We're brothers and sisters with them. We're all together at the foot of the cross. We ask that you would do a mighty work in them, Lord, for the glory of your name. Come and do that, God.